Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's Monday, June 5th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, America is bending the rules this morning and allowing Chinese cancer drugs to come into this country. Meanwhile, Washington and Beijing almost got into a fight over the weekend in the Taiwan Strait. So we're going to talk about why those two stories are connected and so very important. Second, Joe Biden signed a bipartisan debt deal on Friday. We're going to discuss whether or not it lowers deficits and the debt, as some in Washington, D.C. are claiming. Third, if you think that spies are somehow in control of the world, well, you might be right. About 25 of them met at the Shangri-La Hotel over the weekend. I'm going to tell you all about it. Fourth, get out your maps and come with me to Africa this morning, because I want to show you a railroad that you were likely going to be an investor in. It's actually a $250 million deal involving the countries of Angola and the Congo. Later, we close out the podcast with a listener's questions, actually five of them in all, including one that wonders if I use CIA mind tricks on everybody on this podcast. Hmm. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Late last Friday, America's Food and Drug Administration, or the FDA, announced that they are going to be loosening rules that had previously stopped Chinese manufacturers from sending their cancer drugs to the U.S. So according to CNBC and the Wall Street Journal, a Chinese company called Kilu Pharmaceutical is now allowed to ship into the United States a chemotherapy drug known as cisplatin, and that is despite the lack of formal FDA approval. If you're wondering why the FDA would do this, well, here's the reason. We're running short. So by way of background, cancer doctors have used this cisplatin for decades when treating cancers of things like the bladder and lungs and ovaries. But starting in February of this year, supplies begin running short. And that's because we have minimal U.S. production and a major supplier in India called Intas Pharmaceuticals. Well, they were shut down due to some quality control issues. Oh, dear. Well, that led cancer doctors to then switch to a similar medication called carboplatin, but now that medicine is in short supply too. So that left the FDA with a pretty uncomfortable choice, either risk cancer patients going without or rely on these Chinese companies, or at least this one pharmaceutical company to fill the void, even if they're not actually sanctioned by the FDA. Now, one other thing to mention uh, that you might not know, most of the world's drugs, especially generic drugs, come from China, either as the final pill that you consume or, most especially, the ingredients inside those pills. Now, to the point, it is often said that India is the world's largest manufacturer of generic drugs, and that is true, but about 70 to 90 percent of the active pharmaceutical ingredients inside those pills and injections and so forth, well, those are actually from China. And that, by the way, is based on reporting from CNBC. 
So as you consider that news this morning, you should also consider this. The defense chiefs for the United States and Chinese militaries launched a war of words over the weekend after two of their naval vessels almost collided in a Taiwan Strait. So let's talk about the sequence of events over the weekend as reported by the Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, and Reuters News Service. So on Saturday, two Western ships, a U.S. destroyer and a Canadian frigate, passed through the contested waters of the Taiwan Strait. Now, at roughly the same time, the Chinese defense minister released a statement saying, quote, The U.S. and Canada are not here for innocent passage. They are here for provocation, end quote. Well, and so China then sent a destroyer in of their own to shadow and then nearly hit the U.S. ship, missing it by about 150 yards. The Chinese then circled back after that first missed attempt and then tried to intercept the U.S. vessel a second time, although the U.S. destroyer managed to slow itself and took evasive action. Well, that then led the Pentagon to blast the Chinese for, quote, violating the maritime rules of the road of safe passage in international waters, end quote. So meanwhile, as that little dust-up was happening, the U.S., the Philippines, and the Japanese launched their first-ever joint naval drills in the South China Sea. Right, that started on Thursday of last week and ends on Wednesday of this week. One last thing to mention. So as this conflict was rising, the Chinese defense minister did add one little bit of rhetorical hope. He said that a war between the U.S. and China would be, quote, an unbearable disaster for the world, end quote. So those are the facts and data, ladies and gentlemen, about two stories over the past three or four days. One about America now relying on China for cancer drugs and another about some pretty serious and growing tensions that are happening between America and China this morning. So let me offer this brief analysis and opinion on these two stories. So folks, as ever, it makes no sense to place your economic and now physical well-being in the hands of your, well, let's call them a nemesis or yes, an enemy. But that's what we're doing yet again. Because folks, we discovered this issue during the pandemic, right? Our supply chains were critically reliant on Beijing as we horrifically discovered. And that led to lots of promises from Washington, D.C. that things were going to change. But as of this morning, we know that that's just not happening, at least not with any speed or haste, and most especially on some of the most critical things that we need, like medicines. And that's bad, especially as we came 150 yards from China damaging or sinking a U.S. destroyer in the Strait of Taiwan. Because I think that we all know what would likely happen next if China did that either on purpose or by accident. And that is why I am going to be keeping a very close eye on this region as ever. And as ever, I will keep you posted. With that, let's move on to our second brief of the morning. So on Friday night, you may have watched Joe Biden speak to the nation about the House and Senate passing a debt ceiling deal. As listeners know, that has been the ongoing debate on whether or how much, well, debt that America should issue and whether our spending is fiscally responsible. I spoke about the details of this deal last Wednesday. But since then, Congress and the White House, well, they came to a debt ceiling agreement, and it passed, which Mr. Biden celebrated on Friday night, saying that the deal, quote, prevents a first-ever default, all while reducing the deficit, safeguarding Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, and fulfilling our sacred obligation to our veterans, end quote. But is that true, that first part about reducing the deficit? 
Well, in a word, no, not in any material way. As the New York Times put it, the national debt, which of course is fed by the deficits, will keep growing and fast. So based on their analysis, America will go from $31.4 trillion in debt today to over $50 trillion in the next seven years. That is down from 10 that I previously reported to you all. And by the way, that, that uh, increase is largely because of increased spending on Medicare, Social Security, interest on the debt, and the military. Well, putting all of that together, all the political drama and fighting and all that runaway spending, well, that has led credit rating firms like Fitch Rating to promise that even with this new debt ceiling deal, credit rating firms like Fitch may still downgrade the quality of America's debt, which is sort of like America's credit score, in essence. Okay, well, why do we care about that? Well, to put it very roughly and very simply, right, the lower America's credit score is, well, the higher the interest rate is going to be when we try to borrow money. And that's bad when you're a country that is soon to have $50 trillion in debt. All right, one other thing to highlight for you here before we move on. Some of you have emailed me asking how much debt is too much debt for America, All right? How bad is this 50 trillion bucks going to be? Which is a really great and important question. And to answer it, let's consider something called the debt to GDP ratio, right? And that basically measures how much debt a country has relative to its economic output, or to use layman's language here, how much debt should we have relative to how much money we make? Well, for decades, that ratio of, of debt to GDP in America has been between 30 to 60%, at least according to the Federal Reserve. But now it's about 120% debt to GDP. In other words, we've tripled our debt relative to our economic output. In other words, what we earn. Is that bad? <laughs> yeah. We have less financial wiggle room in the future, the more debt that we pile on now. Now, will it cause us to go bankrupt or make investors run away from our debt because it's just so darn risky? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. Hmm. Lots of people in finance guess about this, all sorts of predictions. But for our purposes, right, the key takeaway from this entire deal in the last number of months of fighting is this. The debt deal and the $50 trillion in soon-to-be debt are not fiscally smart. Not good news, right? We're just not sure about how bad it may ultimately be. But we do know this. If things start getting bad, if we struggle to pay our interest or our investors out there in the world don't want to buy as much of our debt, we're going to have to take some pretty dramatic actions to solve those problems, like really cut spending or raise taxes or a combination of the two. And that, my friends, will not be fun for anybody. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners, and then, in about a minute or two, we'll be right back. It's been two weeks since I introduced you to ArcSeedKits.com, a provider of high-quality heirloom seeds. But here is something that you might not know. Ark is a family-owned business located on a 40-acre farm in northern Michigan. Now, the owner is Alex, and she and her family have been growing heirloom seeds for over 15 years now. And she got started in part because her online competitors, like on Amazon, were actually selling authentic heirloom seeds. And in some cases, the seeds were coming from China. But that's not the case with Ark Seed Kits. Alex and her family give you the real stuff made in America. 
So do yourself a favor and buy the all-in-one seed kit. It's got 50,000 seeds of over 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables with a shelf life, folks, of 15 years. And if you don't use all that great variety, well, you can gift those seeds or even barter with them. So go to arcseedkits.com. That's arc, like Noah's Ark, seedkits.com. Enter right as a promo code. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And you will get 10% off your order. So be prepared, ladies and gentlemen, and invest in food security. Go to arcseedkits.com today. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. First up, the world's leading spy services met in Singapore over the weekend to talk about, well, we're not real sure. But we do know this, as reported by Reuters News Service. The leadership of about 24 of the world's spy services met at the Shangri-La Hotel in Singapore all over the weekend and on the sidelines of a conference of the world's defense chiefs. So this gaggle of spies was not announced publicly, as you would imagine, but it was discovered and reported by the folks at Reuters. So as I read the list of spy services involved, I saw that a lot of the big hitters were there. Right? We had the, the U.S., uh, the Chinese, the U.K., and India. There were smaller services there, too, like the Canadians and Australians, New Zealands, Japanese, and South Koreans. So although we don't have official confirmation of what they discussed, let me tell you what I think they likely discussed. So first, these spy chiefs probably just played nice with each other to create goodwill. But there was a point and a purpose to that. All right? And that goodwill will eventually be leveraged down the road when they propose operations on targets of shared interest, like, say, stopping terrorism. But second, these kinds of sort of James Bond-like cocktail parties give spy services and their chiefs a chance to discuss sensitive issues with even their gravest of enemies. Right? These conversations can be very, very private, tucked away from cameras and reporters, usually, and usually far away from politicians who politically can't afford to be seen talking to the bad guys. So the spies are the ones who do the dirty work of talking to the thugs and thieves of the world. So I flag this for you because over the next six months or so, I suspect that we are going to be seeing some telltale signs of stuff that comes from these secret meetings, like sudden progress on a peace deal or a sudden arrest of somebody that has been long protected by a regime or a dictator. And, and what that usually means is that the regime or the dictator got something very nice as a present, maybe a, a secret transfer of cash or Maybe that fuel tanker that's banned by sanctions, well, somehow it just manages to get through and nobody makes a fuss. In other words, I'm going to be watching for stuff that at first blush doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'm going to bring that to you if I have any confidence that this is uh, connected at all to the global spy meeting last weekend. So with that intrigue, let's move on to our final brief of the morning. And for this one, oh, I love it. Grab your maps and come with me to Africa. We are going to talk about two countries, Angola and the Congo, and why you, my fellow American taxpayer, may well be paying for a new railroad in those countries. And to give you a hint as to why, it has to do with dirty green energy. So let's talk about the news from the region this morning, as reported by the South China Morning Post and Bloomberg News. So looking at your maps, whether they be on your computers or your phones or in your minds, 
I want you to find the central part of the African continent, and you are going to see the country of the Congo. Now, we've spoken a lot about this country, namely because it plays such a critical role in the dirty green energy revolution, or also known as the pivot towards the solar and wind and batteries. And in that energy revolution, folks, there are a couple of minerals that are critical importance, really, especially for those batteries. And those would be cobalt and copper. Well, luckily for the Congo, they have both of those things in spades. Over 70% of the world's production and proven reserves of cobalt are in the Congo. The country is also the second leading producer of copper. So looking at our maps, there's a little section of the Congo that jets to the south, and it goes into the neighboring country of Zambia. And that is called the Katanga province, and that's where most of the copper and the cobalt are located. But looking at our maps, you see one problem, right? It's landlocked. So to get that stuff from the Congo out to the international market, it's got to get transported to, well, a port on either the east or the west of Africa. Well, looking at the map, we can see that to the west, that would be a port somewhere in the country of Angola, with, by the way, most critically, easy access to Europe and the United States. But to the east of the Congo is Tanzania, with easy access to Asia, and especially China, whose mining firms own most of the copper and cobalt mining concessions in the region. So if you were the president of the Congo this morning, which route would you choose? Would you go to the west, to the east, or maybe both? That way, you could maximize your markets in the west and Asia, and you could play both the United States and China off each other to see who would give you the most money and stuff, especially for future mining concessions. Which takes us to our news. About two weeks ago, the White House announced that the U.S. was reviewing a $250 million deal to finance something called the Lobito Atlantic Railway Corridor. So once fully operational and refurbished, that rail line would run from the Angolan port city of Lopito, which is on the coast of the Atlantic Ocean. Then the line would traverse through the plains of Africa heading east towards Zambia. Now once at that border, it would split. Right? One rail line would service the Congo, and the other would dip south into Zambia, into what's often called the Copper Belt. Now, what's really interesting is that part of this rail line has been there for decades, actually, somewhere around 840 or so miles of it, but it was destroyed in the Angolan Civil War. But that was really a war between the United States and the Soviet Union decades ago. Well, since then, the Chinese have repaired part of that rail line and offered the country of Angola some new locomotives. In fact, they did so with a loan of $1.8 billion. But the part of the rail line that, that is of greatest interest to both the Angolans, the Zambians, and the DRC, or that is to say the Congolese, well, that part's in pretty rough shape, that rail line, especially as it transits into the Congo and the spur down into Zambia. So the bottom line, folks, is that you... Maybe future investors in this new $250 million rail line from the landlocked countries of the Congo and Zambia to Angola. And it is all to make sure that we get access to that dirty green copper and cobalt as the renewable revolution takes off. I'll keep you posted. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. 
I got a great set of questions from Thomas from somewhere in America. Five questions in all that include this one. Does Brian use CIA tricks on you all in this podcast? Hmm, good question. So let's get to these five questions with some rapid responses. First, Thomas asked, why the name change for the podcast? Because it used to be something about presidents and daily and briefs. Well, all I can say is that my contract ended and my former colleagues and I, uh, well, we were not interested in continuing our relationship. So I started a new podcast with a new name and here we are. Second question from Thomas, do you, Brian, have any intention of running for any political office? And the answer is no, I do not. Political office, especially on the federal level, is for rich people, right? And I am not a rich person. However, on the local or county level, we should all be thinking about either running for office or supporting someone who shares our values because that, ladies and gentlemen, is where the power is, right? You should work to control your your city council or school board or sheriff's office, right? That way, you control things like policing and schools and dealing with just simple things like how to deal with a drug crisis in your hometown or trash, right? That kind of stuff affects all of us every day. All right, third question from Thomas, and this one is actually interesting. During your podcast, Brian, you seem to employ a technique where you bait, hook, introduce confusion, and then offer a decision coupled with emotional solutions. Is that a CIA technique? Well, Thomas... I must tell you, I don't know exactly uh, anything about this technique. I, it's interesting. Um, and maybe you see something I don't. Uh, so I can only say that I don't know what this technique is. But it is fair to wonder if I use spy techniques on this podcast. Or, you know, maybe you're, you're just trying to find a nice way to say, Brian, I'm kind of skeptical of you because I don't know about all those CIA people. All right, And that is totally fair. So first, let me say this. I'm going to tell you a secret. The CIA is not like the movies. Right? Most of the people who work there are not James Bond or Jason Bourne. Or most of them are kind of like Dilbert right, from the cartoon comic strip. <laughs> In other words, you, you overestimate uh, what most modern CIA officers can do. But it is also fair to say, as I do, that some of those CIA officers that I worked with and I know are still there are really good. Right? In fact, some of them use their training and power to do amazing things for the country. But, unfortunately, others do really terrible things against the country. Like when former CIA Director John Brennan accused former President Donald Trump of treason when he knew full well that that wasn't true. But all that aside, let me tell you about the technique that I do bring to you all. Right, I've spent years writing and putting together opinion pieces that are really based in facts and data, right? And, and I then work hard to make compelling arguments with my opinion or analysis. And that's not necessarily a, a CIA technique. That's just using critical thinking and reason, at least in my view. And I picked up those skills largely, not at the CIA, but just from great public education. When I was a kid, I, I had some fantastic college education too. And in, in more recent years, I wrote for the LA Times and San Francisco Chronicle and foxnews.com with some amazing editors who helped craft and and shape the way that I write and think and speak. So I hope that those collective experiences bring you all value each day, and I assure you that that is not some sort of CIA technique. It's far too advanced for all those people at the CIA Dilbert School. 
Okay, fourth question from Thomas Bryan. He said, you have recently started using the pointed term lie more often, but you didn't previously in the last number of weeks or in the last podcast. So what's going on? Well, hmm. I was not aware of this or if others share your assessment, Thomas. But if it is true, I'm going to guess it's because I spend seven days a week reading news from America and around the world for upwards of 12 hours a day. And as I reflected on your question, perhaps what's happening is this. As I am neck deep in reviewing all this material, maybe I start to get a little bit cranky about the world, right? about decisions in Washington, D.C. or other foreign capitals that I know will damage our lives or make things more difficult for the working man and woman. And so perhaps that frustration finds its way through a little bit of um, <clears throat> a little spice in my wording or my delivery. So if folks are feeling that, look, message received. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try some yoga or meditation to calm myself down after all those hours of trudging through the news and the muck and, yes, the lies. All right, finally, Thomas, you asked, am I attempting to discover who will become or already is my audience? Hmm. Well, yeah, I would love to know more about you all. In fact, probably at some point this week, I'm going to be asking you all to to fill out a five-minute survey to just tell me what you like about the podcast, what you don't, uh, whether you listen five days a week or not, and if why. Oh, how about, is the podcast too long, too short? So listen for that survey, which will be in the podcast notes, which you will find on your various podcast platforms like iHeartRadio and Spotify and Apple. So, Thomas, thank you for all your great questions, and thanks, too, for everybody else who's writing in. I am so far behind on my responses, but I promise you that I read everything. So for folks who want to drop me a line, as ever, the website that you would go to is Brian Dean Wright, B-R-Y-A-N, Dean like James Dean, and Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, BrianDeanWright.com. Go to contact us, send me a note, and I will read it. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. 
Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 